You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. What is good, everybody? Welcome back. We appreciate you joining us on another episode of The 40 Club. Tommy Ashley's here with us. Our guest today is Shaman Williams, a 1998 graduate of the University of North Carolina. We haven't done one of these shows in a while, Tommy, because gosh knows everything else has gotten in the way, but we figured we'd go ahead and throw one back on the fire because we had a chance to talk to Shimon. Um, but we appreciate you guys listening. This is uh, one of the Inside Carolina Network podcasts. Be sure you can check all of them out. Hit subscribe, download, listen wherever you can on Apple Music, Spotify, what have you. Take a second, give us a five-star review if you feel so. If you don't feel so moved, then shoot us a note and let us know why you don't like it or whether why you do like it or what we could do better. Um, you can also watch this on YouTube, as you can see, my glorious face, Tommy's beautiful visage, and Shaman's amazing backdrop of his two, both away and home versions of his number three that he wore in Chapel Hill. Tommy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Joey. And you're talking about faces. We got Shaman with us. And Shaman, uh, I'll let Joey get into the questions, but have you changed a lick since you left Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is up with all these athletes coming on this show, Joey? And they all look like the day they left campus. It's weird. We, we, look, we, look, like we look older and they look the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, looks can be deceiving. I can tell you how the body feels sometimes. But uh, I've been blessed in regard to just try to make sure I continue to push myself um, to stay in shape. And uh, a lot of mornings when I'm getting out there and running, I always have to ask my, myself, why am I doing this? <laughs> but I, I do have a 10-year-old and a and an eight-year-old, and so they keep me extremely active, and so it's important that I, I stay in shape to be able to c- compete with them. If Absolutely. nothing else, you got to chase them around, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> or push one or the other. So I want to make sure we give you a proper introduction. Usually we kind of tee up your accomplishments and accolades, and I'll start with saying, Shimon, I think you're the first Q we've had on the show. Uh, first actual member of the Omega Psi Phi fraternity. So you definitely break us, uh, break us in in that category. But you were at Carolina from 94 to 98, three Final Fours, recruited by Coach Smith, played for Coach Smith and Coach Guthridge, uh, and then had a long pro career, uh, wrapping up in 2011. And then on top of that, you coached in college basketball for a little while with a stop at Tulane and at Western Kentucky. So look, man, I'm going to start. Talk to us about your recruiting and how, how, did, how did you get on Carolina's radar and, and share with us a little bit about the first time you talked to Coach Smith. It, it was quite interesting uh, how I got on North Carolina's radar because um, I didn't know. Uh, I, when I left high school in 1993, I had no scholarship offers to go to college at all. Um, and so um, – a man by the name of Dan Peterson, who's my godfather, um, as of today, he, um, you know, he gave me an opportunity to go and try out at Fort Union Military Academy, where Fletcher Harris was the head coach, and uh, and possibly have an opportunity to do a postgraduate year. 
and then so I was uh, accepted and Coach Eric felt like I could uh, be a piece to his puzzle uh, that next year. And, and while on campus, you know, my whole thing was put myself in a position that I can get a scholarship so my parents didn't have to pay for college. It didn't matter where, it didn't matter what level I was, you know, I didn't know the difference between division one and division two, those types of things. Uh, I just wanted an opportunity to go to college and, uh, and play basketball. And so, um, when getting to Fork Union there in the end of August, um, and we began to practice and run and things like that, uh, you know, you're jockeying for positions and you want to make an impact. Now, the one thing that I was is I was a competitor and I believed in myself and, and I worked extremely hard. And so while there during those times, I was trying to make sure that I put myself in a position that I could possibly get an opportunity to play because um, I played behind Merle Code my whole life, who ended up being the starting point guard at, at uh, Clemson, mm-hmm. uh, who as well went to Fork Union. Um, so I never started as a basketball player until my senior year in high school. And so I didn't want that to happen at Fork Union. And so I began to work and put myself in position. And, and every night uh, after we finished study hall, I would just pray. You know, uh, I would pray and ask God to give me, a, you know, if I could get a scholarship to go to college. And uh, and so, you know, that's why I tell people, be careful what you pray for. Because uh, a lot of my teammates at that time will tell you the hypothetical conversations that we were having in two to three weeks, a month later, were becoming reality for me. And so... Um, you know, I went, like I said, I went from a kid that, that wasn't recruited at all. Nothing, you know, I was an all state. I was nothing. I began to get, you know, recruited and people began to call and ask about me. And, and my life began to change dramatically. <laughs> and so, uh, one day, um, I was called out of my classroom and called to the, office and at Fork Union you get called to the office you know that that was that was really obsolete you know that just does not happen over the intercom it's like that doesn't happen and so you know I know I didn't do anything wrong but it was uh uh-oh what's going on and so I was called to the office uh coach Eric was there and he began to tell me say um he said Shimon um there's coach uh, Coach Cress from uh, College of Charleston here. There was Coach Howard, who's assistant coach at Miami, um, and uh, Coach Ellis from Clemson. And so I went to his office in the in the gym, and I met with those coaches like for it was probably about three three hours, three four hours. And so during that time, I ended up missing. Uh, dinner dinner was at five and dinner would end and then we would have practice because it was a tuesday thursday and so i missed dinner and so when coach came to the lock or the office he said well shaman go eat dinner so i went to go eat dinner and i had to eat by myself because everybody else had eaten and i had to leave dinner and come back to practice and so i did that i came back to practice 
I'm putting on my uniform. I can hear my teammates upstairs running, getting ready for practice. And I go up the steps. And as I go up the steps, you could hear a substantial amount of coaches in there. And so as I walked through the door to begin running, I could hear people saying, okay, there he is, there he is. I could hear, but I wasn't looking, but I could hear. And so as we warmed up, I warmed up and, and um, we began to play. And usually when your team wins, your team stays together and coach, he'll, he'll change teams. And my team won and he said, Williams, step off to the side. And I, I turned around and said, no coach, my team won. He said, no Williams. <laughs> he said, no Williams, step to the side. And so he said, um, so as I stepped step to the side, game began to play, and I'm standing there. He walks over to me. He says, when practice is over, Coach Smith wants to meet with you. And so I was like, Coach Smith, Coach Smith. I said, uh, oh, that's the guy from uh, Virginia Tech. And <laughs> he was like, no, no, Williams. That's, you know, Coach Williams. And he pointed to – I mean, Coach Smith. And he pointed to him. He said, that's the head coach at the University of North Carolina. So when he pointed, I turned and looked, and Coach Smith was looking at me, and he kind of, he waved, waved and, like, winked his eye. And so, to be honest, I had no idea who Coach Smith was. I didn't know about North Carolina. I grew up in South Carolina. I was a Clemson fan, you know, so I really didn't know who Coach Smith was at all. I didn't even know the magnitude of it. And so – he said to me, you're going to meet with Coach Smith. And then after you meet with Coach Smith, you're going to meet with Rick Patino." And he pointed. And Rick Patino was standing there as well. And uh, I knew Rick Patino because, uh, you know, I was born in New York and I, my family has a background in New York as well as South Carolina. So I knew exactly who he was because of the New York background. And so uh, I was like, okay, well, I knew, you know, I knew who he was a little bit more. So after uh, practice finished, I went to my coach's office where I had been all day. And, and Coach Smith walks through the door, he and uh, Coach Guthridge. And uh, they sat down in front of me, and he begins to talk and talk about the University of North Carolina. And, uh, you know, he said to me, you know, I, I usually don't do these types of things because I like to find out more about kids and so on and so forth. He said, but um, I'd like to offer you a scholarship to the University of North Carolina. And uh, he began to tell me that he had only did it like two or three times, like first time, send somebody. And so, you know, I was like, I appreciate it. And uh, he said, <laughs> what do you think? And I said, well, you're going to have to go to South Carolina and talk to my mama, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? And so, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. Um, he was, you know, he was really impactful in that regard, but just a, a good person. You could tell he was a good person, but I didn't know about the institution at all. Then uh, Patino comes in and Patino, you know, says, I'm going to offer you a scholarship on the spot and, you could be my starting point guard and so on and so forth. And and uh, I told Patino the same thing. <laughs> you got to go to South Carolina and talk to my mom. And so, you know, that was the first encounter that I had with North Carolina. 
and Coach Smith. And, you know, when I left the office, when I left the office, everybody had gone back to their rooms. And uh, I went back to my room, and my roommate, uh, he was like, you met with <laughs> Dean Smith? And I was like, yeah. He was like, that's North Carolina. And I was like, yeah. He was like, you don't understand this. <laughs> nah, I don't. And so, you know, I didn't really, even with him talking, I didn't know the magnitude of it till the next day when I got with my teammates and everybody kept talking about this Dean Smith, <laughs> this Dean Smith. And I was like, that's cool. He was cool. Got him like, how would I? He was cool. He, you know, he's a nice person. <laughs> but I really did not know the magnitude of being offered a scholarship to the University of North Carolina. So, I'm going to ask the follow, the obvious follow-up, which at least is obvious to me, is probably obvious to Tommy. How did the conversation when he went and talked to your mama go? Oh, they had a, they had a great time. They had an awesome time from from what I from what I understand, because for me, my whole mentality about playing basketball in college was totally different. I just wanted an education, and uh, I wanted to be appreciated. And so at this time unbeknownst to probably people that's listening, Eddie Fogler becomes the head coach at the University of South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And so when Eddie Fogler gets, uh, becomes the head coach of South Carolina, the first person he starts to recruit is me. And so here it is, there's somebody that really, you know, has taken a liking to me. I had never experienced that from any college coach, you know, in that regard. And so, you know, here it is, his first opportunity, and I'm the guy that he really wants. And so my whole mentality was, I can go to South Carolina, and here it is. I got a coach that really cares about me and really wants me from day one. And so where everybody was probably more focused on Kentucky and North Carolina, I myself at that time was focused on South Carolina. And so, um, you know, my mom and them liked Coach Vogler. Uh, my mom liked uh, Coach Smith. And, and they like Coach, you know, Coach Patino as well. But it, it was something about Coach Smith that that um, I'm not – well, separated himself from them in some regard because I know that my mom kept pushing North Carolina, North Carolina on me, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> man, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to just see what happens. And so – to make a long story short, I ended up going on my first official visit to the University of South Carolina, where I had uh, I had some siblings also go to South Carolina, and I had a great visit. South Carolina Alabama football game, great visit. My family was there; everything was nice. That Sunday morning after the Alabama football game in nineteen ninety three. I committed to the University of South Carolina. And Eddie Fogler was happy and and all the coaches were happy, but my mom and and Dan Dan Peterson, they were, no one was smiling. Nobody was happy, nobody was <laughs> clapping. And so um after we finished, my mom <laughs> put me to the side, heard Coach Peter said, 
You're not going to South Carolina. No lie. <laughs> yes, I am. You know, I'm in my, I'm, yes, I am going to South Carolina. I, I, and they were like, no, you're not going to South Carolina. And I'm like, yeah, all right. And so I take my flight back to Fort Union. Now, everybody that knows my mom, <clears throat> my mom is 6'2", probably 235 pounds, easy. You know, and she's extremely physical. You know, I always say she took her prom picture. Well, she took her prom picture like this, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, she's an intimidating figure for sure. And so uh, after committing to South Carolina, here it is that week. <laughs> Never forget it. Coach Vogel comes up to Fort Kenyon. And so he comes, you know, I'm like, hey, coach, what's going on? He's like, Shimani, talk to you. It's like, all right, cool, you know? <laughs> And so we're sitting down talking, and he says to me, <clears throat> he says, Shimon, you, um, he said, you know, we really want you in South Carolina. He said, but, you know, I had a chance to play for the best, so, so should you. And so I didn't know where he was going with this, and I'm like, yeah, all right. Oh, you know, what do you mean? How, you know, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, how did you play for yourself? But then he began to explain to me, that he attended the University of North Carolina and he played for Coach Smith. And I was like, oh, Eddie, don't worry about that, Coach Fogler. I know my mama probably got to you and you were scared. <laughs> don't worry about that. I'm going to take care of that. Don't you worry about that. And he, <laughs> he was like, no, you, 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 know, you, should, you should go to North Carolina. And so here it is, the person that I felt that really yeah. cared about me and wanted me to come to South Carolina and change, you know, change that program. Here it is. He's telling me I need to go somewhere else. So, you know, I, I got a little offended by it. And I told him, I said, okay, you don't want me to come to South Carolina? No problem. I'm going to go to Kentucky. He was like, no, 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 no. You can't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to Kentucky. No problem. And so this was right. Probably like in like, probably around October 15th, somewhere around in there. And so I wasn't going to commit to a school until I took a visit. And so uh, Patino, they were like, you know, they were recruiting Alan Edwards and myself. And so I called Kentucky and I set up my official visit to go to Kentucky on mid, for Midnight Madness. And so um, the, that Monday before Midnight Madness, Alan Edwards commits to Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And so Patino calls me and says, yeah, uh, Alan Edwards commits, uh, committed to us, but we still want you. You know, we feel like you are the one that we really, really need. And so in my head, it was like, no, you told me whoever committed first, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my experience, <laughs> of playing behind people and so on and so forth in that regard, it just led me to say, hey, you know what? I called North Carolina and set up my official visit for uh, Midnight Madness. And so really, <laughs> I ended up going to North Carolina by process of elimination, uh, unbeknownst to me, probably more elimination from God and my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Your mama got to Coach Fogler and said, he ain't going to South Carolina. <laughs> he's not coming to South Carolina. 
or whatever the case may be. And, 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 and I don't think it was probably my mother more than it was Coach Fogler's um, appreciation for Coach Smith. Mm. Um, a lot of times, you know, Coach Smith wouldn't recruit kids that he felt like um, somebody in his family or, or one of his closest friends were, were recruiting. Um, you know, like if it were Coach Fogler or John Thompson, he wouldn't recruit against them. You know, Coach Fogler being one of, one of his, his own, and then Coach Thompson being one of his closest friends. Yeah. So, you know, I, I ended up going to North Carolina on, um, you know, it was <laughs> parental intervention and divine intervention. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's that's pretty awesome. That shows the not only the reach of Coach Smith, but the impact of Coach Smith on his former guys. And, no question. And I want to talk about that with you later in the show. But tell right. me about that Midnight Madness visit. I, I guess that would have been October of '93. Yeah. So that was yeah, Stack and Sheed and all those guys that got yeah. there to coming off the national championship. Describe that. Well. It was it was quite interesting, and uh, a lot of times, if you watch the Co Coach Smith documentary, uh, the first day of practice that year, it actually, if you look, you'll see me sitting on the sideline with my mom and Miss Fogler and stuff like that. And a lot of time, I reminisce about it, but not really knowing North Carolina like that. Once I got to on my visit, like I was in my head, I was like, "Oh, this is where Jeff." You know, I knew Jeff, I knew Stack, and I knew of she. I had played against uh, Jeff and Stack in AAU, but I didn't really know that they went to North Carolina. You know, it wasn't something that I had researched. So once I got on my visit, I saw that Jeff was there and, I, and, and Jerry were there. And in my head, you know, I began to think, oh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> Jeff's here. You know, we play the same position. Uh, this – Mm, you know, you you know, you begin to think about you know selfishly like oh my opportunity to have an you know the opportunity to play, um, you know may not be what it what I would like for it to be, um, and then Larry Davis was there whom I knew because he was from South Carolina as well, and he had attended Fort Kenyon Military Academy, mm -hmm. and so you know there was a lot of things to watch, but you know I I like I like the way practice. Uh, was was ran. Um, I I really didn't like campus, you know, and and it's not like campus is bad, you know. It was just I think I was fighting within myself. People trying to make me go to a school that <laughs> I hadn't wholeheartedly accepted myself. Right. Um. So you know, like. You know, there were a lot of excuses that I could make up in my head about what I didn't like about the campus and what I didn't like about the visit. But one thing I did, I, I did enjoy, it was Coach Smith. That's the truth. Like, I really enjoyed him. Like, just just how he handled himself, how he, he handled people. And, you know, and, you know, the one thing that I, I, I grew up on um, from my social economic background is is how to deal with people and how to handle people. You know, my environment dictated that a great deal. And um, I watched how he moved. I watched how, you know, he just, you know, he was revered. 
And so it, it, it stood out to me more than anything else. The basketball, you know, the, the Smith Center, all those things, it, it really stood out to me how, how he was as a person. And so, um, you know, um, and the other thing that stood out to me was the business school. <laughs> Truth be told, it's the business school. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they were like, well, you know, it's, it's extremely difficult to get into business school. Um, and depending on, you know, your time, you know, mm. could you, you know, take the caseload and so on and so forth. And so, you know, that was a challenge. And anybody knows Shamon Williams is, you give him a challenge, he's going that, you know, now he's going to raise to the, you know, rise to the occasion. And so um, those two things stood out to me, Coach Smith and uh, McKinnon Flagler Business School, uh, because at that time, um, my focus was uh, trying to get to Wall Street. Mm. You know, I wanted to work on Wall Street. That was my dream. And so, um, you know, decision needs to be made. Um, I like Coach Smith. The business school seems like it could be uh, a great uh, thing for me and my future moving forward. And uh, so, lo and behold, I, I don't even remember committing to North Carolina. I just think I, I remember just signing the papers. <laughs> showed up. <laughs> yeah, hands down, Tommy, before you ask, hands down, this is the best recruiting story that we've heard on this show, easily. Well, it's the truth. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's pretty awesome to hear you describe it. Let me take a short second to jump in here and talk a little bit about our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. As you know, Black Friday is around the corner, and they're running their sales now. they got 20% off ladies' and juniors' clothing. They've got all Carolina jersey gear, all Tar Heel football gear. Of course, Notre Dame coming to town on Friday. they got free shipping on all orders over $75 going on right now, and they're consistently having – sales you need to sign up for that email you get notified of all the great sales the football jerseys that throwback jersey that carolina wore against wake forest they got them hey they, they look sharp too and of course they've got all the basketball gear that you could imagine and anything you need for your home tailgate home gate christmas tree ornaments if you're going to shop for christmas you need to do it at johnny t-shirt and johnny t-shirt.com Great sponsors of Inside Carolina, great sponsors of Inside Carolina's podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers because they get 10% off every order. If you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, you can't beat them. They're locally owned and operated. They are the place to go on Franklin Street to get your Carolina gear. And if you can't make it to Chapel Hill, then you need to hit them up online. Great customer service, anything you could possibly need. They've been serving Carolina fans since 1983 and we need to make sure they can do that until 2083 and do that by shopping there and supporting local support Johnny t-shirt johnny t-shirt.com take another short break let the national guys pay the bills we'll be back with the 40 club and Shimon Williams eBay Motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits – 
roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, we're back. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Joey Powell. We've got Shimon Williams here. Let's continue this recruiting story here. So you you sign the papers and you show mm-hmm. up there, um, I guess, in the fall of or the summer of 94. So they're mm-hmm. coming off a year. They, they were good, but they fell short at Boston College game. Um, Stack, Jerry, and Rashid are still there along with uh, – I guess Dante was a starter on that team. Describe being a freshman on a, I mean, just to put it bluntly, on a loaded Carolina team. How, how was that mentality? You're talking about well, a, a challenge. Yeah. Well, once, once, once I had made, you know, once the decision had been made to go to North Carolina, I did begin to see the, the impact of playing at North Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, um, Finishing out my prep school year, you, you know, we played against some great teams, the MCIs, the Hargraves, and a lot of guys that were quote unquote uh, deemed to be ranked higher than me. Um, you know, you begin to hear this guy shouldn't be going to North Carolina and so on and so forth. So that made me. That made me. Uh, I already competed at a different at a high level, but now it, it allowed me to perform at a high level. So now. Okay, you don't think that I'm capable? I'm gonna show you tonight. And so, you know, I would, you know, I was blessed enough to have some blistering games, just off of people saying, "Hey, you know what? He shouldn't be going to North Carolina." And even, you know, and I was even hearing that from South Carolina, from where I was from. You know, people, he going to, you know, kid that had no scholarship offers, he disappears for a few months. The next thing they hear in the paper, <laughs> he's going to North Carolina. It's 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 That's crazy. A great point. <laughs> you know, so. I began to hear all these things and internalize it. And so here it was, okay, when I got to campus, remind you, Rasheed, Jerry, Jeff, we all graduated high school together. So it's not like we're not the same age. I'm just behind them athletically um, and because they were better than me. And so, um, you know, when I got to campus, there was no backup point guard. And so, and Jeff had played behind Derek Phelps. And so I was like, hey, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to compete for this job just as much as, as he, he, you know, even though he has more experience. And so um, when I hit campus, it was, it was pretty much to let people know that I had arrived. Um, you know, they had ranked the top 17 players that were coming to the ACC that year, and I was number 15. <laughs> so, you know, that that wasn't uh, something that I 
I wanted to remain. And so, uh, you know, I put that on my window. And when I got to campus, you know, Shaman wasn't, Williams wasn't going to do much. I wasn't going to deviate from much. I was going to do what was asked of me. Most definitely, I was going to do my classwork. And uh, I was going to be in the gym. And so uh, just coming to campus, it was just more or less earning the respect. Well, you know, I had played against Jerry and, and Jeff, so I knew those guys. But the older guys, it was pretty much letting them know, hey, man, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. My thought process was I'm not here to wave a towel. I'm not here to wave a towel. Um, and so that meant um, there was work to be done. You got it, Joey. I'll so let you get in because I could go on forever because it's pretty amazing. <laughs> so let's let's talk about – and this is one of the more uh, – again, you talk about a talented team. Uh, the 1998 squad, uh, it was – you know, Coach Smith is retired. Uh, Bill Guthridge has essentially six starters, and that was what, – that's what it was called. And that was your last year on campus. What was that <laughs> dynamic like? Because you had proven yourself by this point. You had kind of gone through some growing pains as a young player, acclimating yourself to – to Coach Smith and now Coach Guthridge's system, you'd played with a lot of talented guys. Again, you had elevated yourself to getting, you know, all-conference recognition and, and being noticed by everybody outside of the program. What was it like in that six-starter system where you guys were just so lethal and you weren't deep? But, man, those, the yeah. six guys that you guys it, played were real good. It, well, true. oh, yeah, we had a great basketball team. I mean, and and that was the that was the thing about the University of North Carolina, we were always team oriented. And um, um, I, I was a little apprehensive about the starting six, uh, six man starting rotation, uh, because that, that was something Coach Smith had never done. <laughs> so it was like, what is this? You know, especially your senior year. It's like, you know, it just for me. It was it was a little difficult to comprehend, you know. I never understood why, uh, but we had you know, but we had some talented guys. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I mean, even a lot of guys that didn't have an opportunity to play for us, they were really talented. I mean, like the Max Owens, uh, mm -hmm. the Orlando Melendez, uh, uh, the newbies, uh, you know, Brendan Haywood. I mean, we had a great basketball team. And, and just because guys didn't get an opportunity to play as much didn't mean that they weren't talented. It was just, you know, that's just what North Carolina was. You sacrificed yourself for the better of the team. And so that kind of – that thought process of sacrifice yourself for the better of the team was what kind of made it a little easier for me to accept the six-man starting role. Do you have – and let me, let, me, let me ask, and I don't want to cut you off, but do you have any – do you know why Guthridge did that? Do you I have, have no any idea. idea? I have no idea. Because mm. when it was announced to us, you know, I was like, you know, like I said, I was, and you know, and I was kind of vocal. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was vocal. Um, I didn't say anything, you know, I, I mean, it was a decision that had been made. So it wasn't, I was going to say anything derogatory to Coach Guthridge. But, you know, when we, would, when we were having conversation as a team, I, you know, I would, do any of you understand why? Why this is? Um, could you not make a decision on who wasn't going to start, you know, and those types of things? And, 
And it's interesting because we all look back and we, you know, a lot of people consider us to be one of the best teams that never won a national championship. And uh, Antoine and I were having this conversation the other day. Uh, if there's, you know, out of our whole career at the University of North Carolina, there's only one thing that we would change, and that's not winning that championship. And as I begin to watch, I always watch these national championship games and teams. The one thing that I felt like we possibly could have done, I told Antoine this, had I known that we would not have won a national championship, I would have sacrificed and just came off the bench. Because mm. all those teams that have won national championships, they had a talented player to sacrifice for the better of the team mm. and come off the bench. And so if that's what Shaman Williams needed to do for us to win a national championship, then I would have done that. Because everything else, you know, um, everything else w was great, but I only came back my senior year to win it. After the junior year that I had, had I known that maybe Coach Smith was going to resign, I probably would have left and probably uh, gone to the NBA because of, you know, the, the run that I had yeah. at that point in time. And so, you know, my thought process, I only came back to win it. And so when they told us, when they said we would have the six, well, it was one thing that Coach Smith to resign. But when they said the six-man starting rotation and I went home and I looked at the calendar, I started going down the calendar. And I said to myself, when we get to the Final Four, I'm not going to start. I remember that. <laughs> I did the math. Do the math. Because I, I, knew, I, knew I knew why I was there. Right. So not making the Final Four, being big play for that championship, there was no, you know, I knew exactly the plan yeah. and as i went down that schedule i and i went through my acc championship i said so that really kind of made it a little different <laughs> for me as well but hey you know uh, i thought we did a great job with it um and uh <laughs> hey i made Maybe that's the first and the only time that's ever happened. <laughs> that, that's uh, I, I will tell you from a fan base perspective, I doubt you'll find the topic more discussed than that decision right there. And that's why I asked, did, did even the players understand it? I think he just couldn't tell somebody no. Um, I don't know. I mean, a lot and certainly not in the locker room, but that's what it seemed like to me. He just couldn't tell one of you guys, hey, you're coming off the bench. But like you said, had you known. But let me ask you from a player standpoint, just a purely player per, uh, preparation and all that, talk about the difference of starting a game versus coming off the bench and the mindset difference. Because I don't think people necessarily understand it. Um, but obviously the effect, well, guys. Yeah. it. Um, I mean – from where I came to where I was at that point in time in my career, you know, I I had pretty much conditioned. I had gotten to a condition where I could come off the. Uh, I could, you know, I was a, you know, I had I had uh, ingratiated myself with the role of starting. I mean, because my freshman year I played probably about three four minutes a game, if that. Then my sophomore year I came off the bench, which that role 
you know, that role, I thought I, I had a pretty good role and I did a, a pretty good job with that role coming off the bench because that was my mindset. So now here it is as a starter, you know, for me personally, as a starter, I, um, you know, <laughs> led T to the final four. So now with my focus and what I'm, I'm my, the impact that I'm trying to make on the game for my team, you know, it's, it's, it's a totally different feel. It's a totally different like mindset because, you know, I attack from the beginning, you know, like it's just, it's just built in me, you know, and, and, and I had gotten to that point to where I relished it. And, and so the games, I mean, you look, you look at that year for me, games that I started, I averaged 18 to 20, 22 points a game and games I came off the bench, I averaged seven points. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, um, maybe, you know, psychologically, you know, you, I mean, I'm not even complaining. So this is just what it is. I'm just going to go and do, do what's asking me. Um, but you know, when you get older and you begin to analyze, um, you know, having aspirations on being a head coach, you know, one day myself, you, you begin to look at those things and you take into account, you know, what could be the impact of, of, you know, the decisions that you make, uh, for your team and, and for those individuals as well. Do you remember if you started the Georgia Tech game in Atlanta? I started the Georgia Tech game. I have to ask about that one because we did a one of the other podcasts that we do on Inside Carolina. Um, I call it the throwback. And as we okay. go back and look at old games, and one of those games was this game in Atlanta where you absolutely burnt the arena down. Uh, what was your, Do you remember your mindset about that game, or was there somebody that I, set you off beforehand? No. Um, I, I'll be honest. <clears throat> For me, um, I was always playing for respect. Each and every game that I played, I played for respect. And I just really felt I never got the respect. Hmm. And so every time I stepped on the floor, I was playing to prove people wrong. Um, be it uh, not, you know, not the Carolina fans, but you know, people on the outside that were watching and even, like I said, even people from my hometown, I was playing to show people that, that I could, I could be. And, um, the Georgia Tech game, um, you know, it was, it was a difficult game. I mean, you look at that team that Georgia Tech had, they, they had, uh, four pros on that team as well. Yep. Um, and so, you know, and that's just what the ACC was back then. And so, you know, my thing was um, trying to um, trying to put myself in a position that people would um, appreciate uh, what I brought to the game. And so, um, in that game, you know, those you know, you had to take everybody's best punch, and um, you know, it was a it was a knockout dragout. And I felt like we did not close that game out in, uh, in, re in regulation. And so the one thing that I kind of appreciated about my teammates was if the game ever went to overtime, then 
it was like they would follow me, you know? They would, mm-hmm. let's get the ball to Shimon and let, you know, because of my experience. And so here it was going into overtime, you know, I, I was like, you know, listen, there's a lot of game left and uh, we got work to do. And, you know, my senior season at North Carolina was, it was a great season, but it was kind of difficult as well. And if you watch throughout that game, you would see me having conversations mm-hmm. with the, the sideline. And at that point in time, those conversations that I was having was, would it be okay if I took this guy? You know what I mean? Would it be okay if I took this shot? You know, just those types of things that were going on at the time. And um, my my teammates, they most definitely believed in me. And I'm not saying that my coach didn't believe in me, but it was it was kind of like a <laughs> like a like a not a big conflict, but some type of conflict in some regard. And and uh, that Georgia Tech game, um, I didn't really know how many points I scored. It really wasn't that important because we wanted to win. We we were a team, and we cared about each other, and we didn't care who scored it or whatever the case may be. And the, the, the one thing that I do remember about that game was – Cause it was so, it was just, it was so, it was so tiring that I remember the game was over, it just finished and I was holding my shorts. I was bent over holding my shorts and Steve Kirshner ran up to me and he was like, are you okay? You okay? I was like, yeah. He was like, do you know what just happened? I said, no. He said, do you know how many points you just scored? I said, 25. He said, no, 42. And I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. So and casual I, with it. Yeah, because it, it wasn't it wasn't about the points. I yeah. I didn't understand the magnitude of it. What I didn't want was people to say, you know, Shaman, you know, Shaman's the leader of this team <laughs> and they lost. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kirshner was the one that that brought it to my attention. And, you know, and, and like like I said, we didn't we didn't care. I, my teammates didn't. Know. I mean, it's not even like I looked at a score sheet after that because that's right. just not what we did. Uh, because we believed so much in each other and didn't care who got the who got the reward, you know. And so, you know, my my you know, I was able to get forty two points because of what my my team you know my teammates believed in me. Let me ask you this, and I I wouldn't ask this if you hadn't been so vulnerable with us so far. And you're incredibly self-aware anyway. Just like in our interactions so far, I can tell you're an incredibly self-aware person. And it sounds like you were then as well. But you've talked about this drive. And I don't want to get too Oprah Winfrey on you, but you've talked about this desire to prove things to people. When you're trying in that mindset to prove something to someone, is there anybody you have in your mind? Or is there something at some point in your life where you just felt like, was the turning point that made you have that chip on your shoulder? Because it's obviously worked so well for you. Yeah. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a person per se. Um, I think 
known from where my family came from um and uh, you know my grandfather um my grandfather was like the the backbone of his family and um a lot of the attributes that we have um come from him uh, my grandfather was six five and uh you know everybody in my family plays basketball mm-hmm. like uh you know my younger cousin is kevin garnett you know we're first cousins so you know for me to be you know i am actually the shortest in my family from first cousins to second i'm, I'm the shortest and so um you know having to navigate that environment was not bad because I was probably the shortest, but in my, in my family, I'm probably like the, you know, my grandfather was the guy. And then when my grandfather passed, that responsibility was placed upon my shoulders, not my uncle's shoulders and nobody else was placed upon my shoulders. So I'm, I'm kind of like that dude for my family. And, um, and it was a lot of things that needed to be done, uh, for us to get out of that, that mentality or that social economic, um, entrapment in that regard. So, you know, Shimon Williams at, at the University of North Carolina had a lot to prove, not just on the court, but off the court, because I was the first person to graduate from my family in college which is my, you know, my greatest accomplishment because it be, it it became a, a prerequisite for everybody now in my family to go to college. You know, uh, here it is, I graduated in 98 and, and then maybe seven, eight years later, I had, a, I had a cousin, another first cousin graduate from the University of North Carolina as well. And so it, it you know, it just, for me, it was for all the have nots. Um, a lot of people, you know, uh, I can say I felt like appreciated me as a person, um, because of how I carried myself, but I always felt like people didn't understand, like the fans, I call them, you know, you say the fans, but I'm only saying fans now because you can understand the difference because there are no fans and there are no Carolina basketball players we all just the Carolina family. But I'm talking about the fans' perspective right now. I don't think the fans understood that I was more like them than I was the basketball player. Mm. You know, and mm. that's that's how I always carried myself. I didn't want them, you know, like, I, I had probably more in common with you than I probably had in common with my teammates, you know, um, you know, I was a, you know, I was a have not. And so when you, you begin to talk about the have nots, um, you know, when I, you know, when I, I have these, you know, I sit down with my son and my daughter and we look, <clears throat> my son, you know, he looks to, he's eight, but he's very intelligent. He looks at the books. He, he's looking at the, you know, he might hear something about records. He might be what. Daddy, you got records. He'll start looking at your name and he start looking at the book and see his name and so on and so forth. And uh, because he's a junior, 
he looks and he's like, Daddy, you, you know, you're at the top and you're this and you're that. And I began to run through my mind. I said, one day he'll understand that all those guys that my name is, is with, those were the best players in the country when they left high school. Those guys were all state. Those guys were top 100. And here it is, you know, <laughs> I was barely all conference. And so is that something that you, you, you just take and say, you know what, you know, I accept it. No, you should accept it. But what are you going to do about it? And so as a, as a man, it was like, Shimon, you can sit here and, and complain why people didn't pick you all state or didn't appreciate you. But what are you going to do about it? And so my track started as, all right, here we go. I'm going to prove to you guys that I'm better and I'm more than capable than you think I am. And uh, like you said, it's worked great for me. <laughs> Thanks for opening up. Yeah, that's definitely a mindset that more people need. And you kind of went where I was thinking about going when you were talking is the biggest misconception about guys like yourself, uh, Carolina basketball players, any basketball players, college players, pro players. What do you think that biggest misconception is from people on the outside looking in? Well, yeah. I and think times have changed. Or since. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say times have changed dramatically. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times, whether you want to understand it or not, you know, there's there's a lot of responsibility placed on these athletes. Um, and and because of their talent, does not change the individuals. And a lot of times. Uh, some of these kids are so talented that they're objectified. And so when you're objecti objecti objectified, people are less likely, well, let me say, some people are less likely to hold you accountable because of your athletic proudness or what you could do for a team or an environment or a community. And for me, I feel like that is the biggest problem because, because a child will be what you teach him. And so if nobody's teaching this kid that this is not the way that you're supposed to act or the way that you're supposed to handle yourself, then how are they supposed to know? You know, you can't hold somebody accountable for something that they don't know. And the one thing that we have a problem with as people is a lot of times we'll look at a person and we'll say, I can't believe they act like that. I can't believe that they would do this. And the only reason you feel that way is because you're not them. Maybe you've been taught. Maybe, maybe you know, your environment has, has set things in order for you to have an understanding of how to and how not to do things. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, I'm not going to say it's not their fault, but it's really the individual's fault. That's, that's, uh, that has an issue with what they've done because 
you're expecting them to handle the situation like you would handle it. And if that's the case, if they handle the situation that, the way that you would handle it, then what makes you special? And so, you know, I've learned to not, not criticize or judge a person by, you know, the way that they do things, but understand that I'm blessed that I don't. But more importantly, how can I make an impact to help that person understand that this is not how you do it? And the only way that you can do it is you have to have a thought process and a moral compass of, I'm only telling you this because I want you to understand and know. There's nothing that I want from you. There's nothing that, you know, I'm trying to use you for. I'm just trying to help you get an understanding of this is how you should probably handle yourself because this is what people, you know, unfortunately, you may not want this, but because of what you do, yeah. people hold you in high regard. Yep. And so I think a lot of people get the misconception that, that, you know, athletes have been, <laughs> have been taught <laughs> how to, you know, carry themselves in, in all, in all uh, environments. Um, no, that's not the case. And, and that's the one thing that you can really, really appreciate about Coach Smith. That there, you weren't going to have an issue with one of his players because that was, that was first and foremost. You, you're going to know you're going to know how to handle yourself and carry yourself as a Carolina basketball player and a representation of this institution. That was first. People think it's basketball. Mm, well, no basketball. It was that first. And so you understood how important, you know, the people that supported you were. You understood that it was bigger than you. You understood that you were representing somebody other than yourself. And so uh, once Coach Smith made sure that you know people from all walks of life understood hey this is this is the responsibility that you have when you uh accept the scholarship to attend this institution and be a part of this program um you know you 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 begin to appreciate that and and understand hey you know what i have a responsibility that's bigger than just putting that uniform on and playing basketball uh those 34 games a year Man, we are, you and I are vibing on the exact same plane. Because as I was going to say, and your point about people assuming folks know how to act um, is just not true. I mean, right. I, I, I work in a field uh, not inside Carolina related where it's pretty clear that some people have no shot or no hope because they've never been taught and they don't. Mm -hmm. For lack never of had a, a chance to be taught, some of them. Yeah, exa exactly. And then one thing I've been doing, working for Inside Carolina for 22 years now, and covering you guys, um, your mm -hmm. senior season, and then beyond. What you realize in a hurry in this line of work is that, like you said earlier, you guys are just us with talent, um, mm -hmm. and so we're all the same, and it's all one big family. Um, and you started talking about Coach Smith. Shimon, how have you, how have you paid that forward in your life? Um, clearly you have, but describe that for our listeners, how you took everything growing up, but then you get to Carolina and you got coach Smith who everybody speaks highly of. I mean, I don't, mm -hmm. if there's a, somebody that speaks bad of coach Smith, I've never met him. Um, but it's specifically for what you just talked about how, how do you pay that forward how does society pay that forward 
those teachings forward to make this, not to get too deep, but to make this world a better place? Well, I mean, I, you know, where, where it started, I didn't know the, the magnitude of being at the University of North Carolina and playing for Coach Smith. Um, I began to understand those things, um, you know, probably, you know, quick <laughs> once getting to campus, but being around him. And, and, and I would say Coach Smith and our relationship, we always had a good relationship because there was a lot of things that Shimon Williams went through at the University of North Carolina. Um, but Coach Smith was always um, the guy who, who stood by his word. And I think he and I, our relationship changed a great deal um, when he decided to resign because the one selling point that he always made clear to me was, Shimon, I'm going to be there for your four years. And so I think because he did resign, he felt like he didn't stick up to his word with me in that regard. And so it was like our relationship, like it, it like even blossomed even further, you know? Wow. And, um, and um, you know, the one thing Coach Smith, you know, he kind of, you know, he said like, you know, like, I wanted you guys to be around the kids when you leave the program. I wanted you guys, you know, to, to teach them and, and, and teach them, you know, our ways and so on and so forth. And everything Coach Smith said to me, I, I took it literally. I mean, I was drafted in 1998. I, I started building my house in Chapel Hill in, in August of 1998. <laughs> and so, uh, it took, but uh, so from 98 and I got into coaching in 2012, I was in Chapel Hill every summer. And so Coach Smith, you know, everything that he asked me to do, I tried to do. Um, he said, you know, he, you know, how you treat people, you know, understand this is a Carolina family. Um, you know, don't think that you're any better than anybody else just because of, you know, the uniform that you wear. I mean, um, that has to be life. I mean, it, it's principles. I mean, it's his words, but it's principles that come from the Bible. You know, and so, um, you know, we, we have to understand that even though we come from different walks of life, we can have a great environment. And, you know, and, and, and treating people the way that you want to be treated, treating people fairly, treat them, you know, treat everybody the same, you know, and I made the statement to somebody like, you know, I remember, um, I say this all the time because it's so true. When I was coaching at Tulane, we were playing at ECU and the security guard came to me. He said, this is a little guy coming out, it's out here that says that he played basketball with you. And, uh, you know, he wants you to come out. And I was like, a little guy, he's like, yeah, he's short. <laughs> he said, he played basketball with me? He said, yeah. He said, hold on, I'll find out more. So he went back out, came back, and said, he played with you at, at North Carolina, a little short guy. I said, <laughs> Webb Tindall. He said, yeah, I think that's his name, Webb Tindall. And I was like, yeah. I said, yeah, that's my teammate. 
And he was like, he played with you? I said, yeah, he played with me. That's my teammate. And, and the, whole, the whole statement was I didn't want him to think about, you know, like a lot of times people say, well, this guy made the team by being a walk-on and so on and so right. forth. That, right. That's, you know, that's, you know, that, that's the conversation for people that, you know, that may not understand the magnitude. But he wasn't a walk-on. He was my teammate. And, and Coach Smith made sure that we understood, hey, no matter how you got there, um, you know, everybody's going to be treated the same. You didn't know. If you didn't know North Carolina basketball yourself and you watched us in practice or watched us come into an environment, you wouldn't know who was averaging 20 points or you didn't know who didn't even play in the game. And that right there is what's missing not only in life, but missing in the game as well. Everybody has to be held accountable, but more importantly, everybody has to be treated the same, even though they may not be bringing the same things to the table. Just because they don't bring the same things to the table does not mean that they're not important. And, uh, and Coach Smith made everybody feel like they were important. This is hands down going to be the longest and probably deepest of the 40 clubs <laughs> that we've done. And, and I mean, we're, we're, good. we're an okay. hour in, we're an hour in and I don't want to change a thing. Um, let me ask you, you had a very long, very productive professional career, both in the NBA uh, and then overseas, which by the way, I, I, one of my life goals is to live uh, in Spain and, and you not only live there, but play there in just some of the most beautiful places in the world. But I'm going to give you a quick, simple question about your pro career. Who's okay. the best, best player you ever played with? Played with? Mm-hmm. Who? <laughs> I think it's going to be easy, but you got to go back and compare, right? The best player I've ever played with. Because you played with Kobe with the Lakers, right? Yeah. Oh, he's still thinking, though. He's the most talented player i played with, for sure. He's the most talented. Yeah, he's the most talented player. But that's not the best. Yeah. What's the, what's, well, what's, what's you know, the... I'm, I'm different. I'm different. You know what I mean? Like, Kobe and I, we had a great relationship, man, and he was an outstanding dude. And, and the one thing that I really – the one thing I think that really resonated with Kobe and I was at the time when I had come and played with the Lakers, I had already been to Europe. I had played in Europe, and I had played with some guys. You know, I played with some great players in Europe, and – and I understood the culture and the mentality. And and Kobe was pretty much raised in Europe. Right. And so, um, you know, I think what a lot of people may have felt like he was a little different. You know, I never felt that way. Because he and I built our relationship off competing against each other when I played with the Sonics. And and we would have those battles with the Lakers. And, and he and I would end up playing against, guarding each other and so on and so yeah. forth. And so we would we would we would really go at one another. So we had built our relationship on that. Um, and so when I got an opportunity to go play with them and being in that environment with them every day, um, I, I I can say this: um, you're talking about basketball-wise, he is the most talented player. He's the best talented player I've ever seen in my life. It was you know you would see things that you, you saw in the games though those wouldn't do him any justice because some of the things that you would see in practice, <laughs> you, you know, I, I remember, I remember seeing him like just, just his pure agility, you know, like 
Like, he was calling for the ball one time, and the guy was setting up to take a charge, and he caught the ball and turned, and the guy was standing right there, and he, like, took two steps and, like, wrapped the basketball around him and didn't even touch the guy. <laughs> and I looked, and I said, "My, you know, like, me talking about it does it no justice. I said, I said to one of my teammates, I said, the man has to be possessed by the devil. <laughs> I said, the Lord didn't give him anybody that type of talent. You know, just being facetious because it was, it, I mean, it was, it was like, you know, and I had seen, you know, I had seen the, you know, I had seen some, you know, I had seen the best of the best. So, but, uh, you know, he, man, he was, you know, he was the most talented player I had ever seen. Now, the best player, I wouldn't say the best player, um, you know, because I, you know, I played with, uh, well, I didn't play with them, but I've been on the court with Michael. And, uh, and uh, that was, <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know, if, I don't know if there's words. I mean, but Michael, man, he, he was, um, he was, you know, he was, he was different. It was like, his 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 ability was like blistering like his like to get the point a to point b if you blinked you would miss it you'd be like how did he get to the rim because he was already there and like and because of his ability in that regard of being able to be so dynamic with you know with least dribbles uh, i think that's that's what made him so polarizing you know, he, he just, you know, you know, those, you know, those are two guys that were blessed with, with great, great packages, you know, just the perfect package. And but yeah, Kobe, Kobe's the, Kobe's the, you know, as a teammate, he's the, yeah, he's the most skilled, best, you know, best player. You know, I had some other teammates that were really good players, but they were great people too, man. And so when you start saying best, you know, it kind of, it, you know, it's just show you how my mindset is. I don't yeah. also go for talent. I go by the, the person as well. Not not saying that Kobe wasn't a great person, but you know, I had some I had some good. Who's the best know, human I, being you ever played with? Just over around, like best the person. Vin Baker. Rephrase. Vin, Vin, Vin Baker. Vin Baker. In Seattle. Hands down. Wow. Hands down. No, nobody comes close. Wow. Vin Baker, and then probably Grant Hill. But but Vin Baker, because you know I was I was young rookie, and second right. year player, and you know the things that he did for us as as young men, um, you know just just set the tone uh, for for us because he was you know he was more our age, he's a little bit older than us, but he took the responsibility of a. Of a, of a veteran and, and of a father for a lot of us that didn't know how to navigate those waters and just, uh, you know, just, um, you know, he would, he would cook for us every night, you know, wow. went out of town, he would take us out to eat, you know, he wouldn't let you pay for anything, you know, you know, he was, you know, he understood that he, you know, he was like, man, I'm blessed. Um, you know, you could see, you know, you could tell that his father was, you know, a minister um, because just how he just carried himself amongst others. And he was, he was selfless and, um, and, 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 
you know, he was just, you know, he was just at the right age to to understand some things, you know, hadn't been far removed from where we were, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he 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 was by far the best teammate, like person. And 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 that's not to say that a lot of other guys didn't were impactful, you know, like I remember like I can I can easily go through my vets that were impactful to me um because of you know what they challenged me to be as a man while while being young. You know, Steve Smith, right. uh Matumbo, um Patrick Ewing, um, you know, um David Wingate, um, you know, Juwan Howard. You know those those guys, those you know those guys right there were impactful to me, in 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 some regard, in my in my career, um, by by their information, and um, and them being men, men. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope Jawan Howard works out in Michigan. Had a chance to cover them at the Battle for Atlantis last year down in the Nassau and. He seems like a genuinely good dude and needs to be coaching young men like that. Yeah, he will. Yeah, uh, and you could tell his players. Of course, they wore Carolina out, uh, but you could tell his players um, felt that way about him, even in his whatever first or second year it is. Let me let let's circle it back to Carolina. And again, Shaman, you've been great to join us for. A long oh. time and, and oh no, I, I enjoy. This is fun. We could uh we could talk forever. Let let me ask you some hard, tough questions. <laughs> ninety five versus ninety eight, Carolina team. You got to be objective because <laughs> you were on both. You got to pick one. You got to put yourself in ninety five with uh, mm-hmm. stack and sheet, and then and touche, and then you. Jamison and Carter, 98. Who wins those games? Who's better? <laughs> Can't go to the group chat. Well, 95, Shimon Williams only plays three minutes a game. <laughs> 98, Shimon has big impact. You know, he, you know he's going to be looked upon to do a few more things. <laughs> I'm gonna be selfish and I'm gonna go with the '98 because I'm playing more. <laughs> no wrong answers. There's no wrong answers. That works. Man. I, I love the way you broke that down. Right. Yeah. You got to look out for Shimon. We we <laughs> in that regard. I mean, I yeah. would like to see some other things, but you know, you, you you put some great players up against each other, and uh, you know, and so why do that when I can just put myself up against myself? Shimon played three minutes in <laughs> played, that is the most uh, that is the most simple, distilled, beautiful answer I think we've got yeah. on this show. Yeah. Shimon, Shimon ninety eight's like, I can take that dude, that ninety five dude. I got him. I got well, the ninety five dude wasn't gonna play much. So <laughs> the ninety eight guy was gonna get to play as long as it wasn't one of the games I had to sit out. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're the sixth man on this, this right, match. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Those are one the final four game. <laughs> so, uh, most uh, memorable Carolina moment can be on the court, can be off the court. Denar Searcy, football player, said meeting his wife at Carolina. So, 
doesn't have to be sports related, but it can be. My biggest accomplishment memory um, was graduation 1998. And um, my grandfather, um, because he had lost his leg, um, being at, uh, he and my grandmother being at my graduation and walking down the uh, stadium and my grand, you know, they had the handicapped people could sit down on the field. Yeah. And um, my granddaddy seeing me graduate, you know, that was. That's what it's about. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any, any regrets? What's the, what's the regret that Shaman Williams has? I should have, I should have came off the bench in that 98 team. Should have volunteered. <laughs> yeah. I should have, I should have said, you know what? I just come off the bench. If, if I, if I known that was going to help us win a national championship, you know, just something that, but you know, you know, I mean, that's superficial, but truth be told, there's no regrets about going to university of North Carolina at all. Like, I mean, my home's there. I mean, I mean, it changed my life. It, it, it didn't only, you know, that's one thing I, I, you know, one thing that I was able to see Coach Smith, I think I probably was the last player to be with him um, before he died. Um, come and see him before he died. Um, the one thing that um, I always made sure that I told him was I appreciated him because not only did he change my family's life, he changed my community's life as well. And I've been able to help so many other kids um, because of what he saw in a kid that many others didn't see. And, um, you know, I, you know, like I, I had a kid that was drafted number four in the draft of Wednesday night, I was able to teach him some things that I was able to learn because of the opportunity Coach Smith, you know, gave me. Um, you know, the things that we're able to do at the Children's Hospital, I'm able to do those things because of the opportunity Coach Smith gave me. Um, you know, just you just you just never know the impact that you can have on society with your belief in one person or the opportunity that you present for one person you just you just never know and uh to think about he's he did that forever until he left his earth and so you know, when you, you have somebody like that that you have to follow, you understand. Like each and every day, I understand the responsibility that I have. And and I don't take it lightly at all. You know, I think, I think you know, from the old school Carolina players to the new school Carolina players, I make sure that I do my part. And... Um, so it could continue on, do my part. 
I think that one of the things that uh, you've been able to do, not only just evangelizing about the culture that Coach Smith created and that, you know, Roy Williams has helped to maintain and that all the players have helped to, to cultivate uh, is in your new podcast. Uh, it's called The Carolina Conversation. And uh, the episodes that I've heard, there's a lot of that commonality and that thread of, of just what Carolina basketball is about. Why don't you tell our listeners and our viewers uh, about your vision for that show and, and why you started it? Well, uh, <laughs> I know that you may think it may be bigger than, <laughs> than what, you know, the, what the reason it started was bigger than, you know, or there was some reason behind it, but it, it was, it was also kind of superficial as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Goodman and, uh, and Rob Doster started the Field of 68 Media Network. Mm-hmm. And they were doing, they wanted to have, you know, basketball institutions and so on and so forth um, represented. And Jeff gave me a call. He said, Shimon, you know, we'd like to do a podcast and have University of North Carolina represented. And, um, you know, would like to know would you be interested in in hosting it and uh i said mm, i don't know jeff that's <sighs> he he was like well you know we have a lot of other schools we have syracuse we have villanova we have you know indiana and said and we have duke so what <laughs> i said you have who 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 else he said duke uh i said duke has one Say yeah, I said. I said, well, since you twist my arm, <laughs> since you twist my arm, I have no choice. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, Jeff Goodman was is the one who who you know who brought it to me. And as we began to talk, I made the I made the you know I, I helped Jeff understand. I said, now I want you to understand when you're asking me to do this that the Carolina conversation. And when we start talking about the Carolina family, you're not going to understand this. It's going to probably be totally different than any other school that you have. I yeah. said, because we're different. I said, so if you want me to do this, I don't mind doing it. I call it the Carolina, you know, we're going to call it the Carolina conversation. And, but I want you to understand that our Carolina family is just bigger than basketball. And, and where you may not understand it, the people that's in the Carolina family, we understand it. And I said, well, you know, and so he said, hey, Shimon, you can do whatever you want to do and so on and so forth. So I said, all right, cool. And so, um, you know, we, you know, I've been able to get a lot of the, the greats. Um, 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 but, you know, we, we, we're, we, you know, we also have, um, you know, we have Matt Roberts, the, the, the athletic director at the College of Charleston. Um, we're, you know, I'm going to get Dick Bedore as well. Um, and uh, I'm actually um, I'm actually going to see if I could get Mr. Chris and a lot of the guys who worked in the Smith Center. Oh, wow. Because, uh, you know, like these guys, these guys. You know the reason why you see the Shimon Williams and the Vince Carters and 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 and, and, and all these players that you celebrate is because of those guys. 
Yeah. Those guys have stories about us that, you know, many people don't know. Like Mr. Chris, he can tell you, you know, <laughs> Shimon Williams in the gym at 2 a.m. in the morning. And, 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 and you know, and, and, and Mr. Mr. Robbie and the security guard, you know, those are the people that are the pillars in the Carolina family because they do the things each and every day that allows us the opportunity to put the product together for you guys to celebrate and to enjoy. And, and if those guys don't do the things that they do, there's no possible way that we can even be where we are in that regard. And, and I've never, I've never forgotten those guys. And, and truth be told, those are the best moments to come back. When I, when I come to games, those are the best moments when I'm able to walk in there and I, you know, I see Mr. Chris, you know, he's at the gate letting people up now, you know, doing things like that. Just sitting there and talking to him for about 10 minutes um, and uh, introducing my children to him, you know, yeah. like, hey, you know, this guy, used to help daddy sneak in, you know, or, you know, <laughs> you know, would let daddy, you know, teach, taught daddy how to cut the lights on and, you know, and, and, and those types of things like, um, you know, and seeing some of the ushers that are still there and, yeah. and, and letting them know, Hey, you know what? I didn't forget you. You know, I didn't forget you. And I didn't forget, you know, how you treated my parents, uh, how you treated my friends, uh, you know, when, when maybe they weren't supposed to, to be on the floor at that certain time, but because I'm taking too long to get out of the shower to come and get them, you know, you built a relationship to know who they are as people and you trust them, you know, like, you know, those types of things, a lot of people overlook, you know, like you let my parents, you know, family go to the, you know, go to the hallway um, because you respect them and you, you've gotten, a, you built a relationship with them that you know, oh, that's Miss Williams or, that's that's Reggie, you know, those types like that stuff right there, you know, beyond all the games that could have been won. That's Carolina family. And, um, you know, my podcast allows me to to bring that to to people uh, and get some of the inside stories of why why we're like we are. And and, um, you know, and, you know, what goes on beyond the peripheral that you can appreciate or, you know, like you said before, why did they do that? Like, I think the one with Matt Doherty is like, I think it's explosive. I, I really like it because, you know, Matt's my brother, you know, Matt's, you know, Matt, you know, Matt's my guy, you know, he's my guy. And so, you know, to, to have him talk about his experience and being the coach there and, and uh, you know, and, some of the things that he felt like he should have done better, you know, just to, yeah. just to, you know, bring, bring things, you know, full, you know, full circle to his growth as a human being or what he would have done different, you know, just to hear those things for, yeah. for us as a family, you know, just, you know, because the one thing that we all do know that none of us are perfect. And the one thing that Coach Smith never did, he never ostracized anyone regardless of what they did yeah. and what downfalls that they may have had as a person, because I'm pretty sure that he dealt with some things himself, but more importantly, he wanted everybody to know, Hey, in the family, there's going to be some things that, that, you know, people are going to make some mistakes. They're going to have some hiccups, but that's not what's important. How do we circle around those individuals 
and, and get them back to to who they were and where they were and uh, and keep supporting because you never know when you're going to need that yourself. And that is the Carolina conversation that Shaman is talking about. You can get it on iTunes or I'm sorry, Apple Music or anywhere that you find podcasts, but search the Carolina conversation. Shaman's been doing those for a little while. Uh, the episodes that I've heard have been absolutely phenomenal. And I think most of the folks that are listening and watching this podcast will definitely appreciate what you're doing on that show. But Shaman, we have uh, we have taken almost an hour and a half of your time, and I can't say enough how much we appreciate you uh, opening up to us and being vulnerable and sitting down on the couch and having a conversation with us. It's, it's, it's been hey, a man, lot of fun. That, that's what family does for one another. That's what family does. So, you know, hopefully, God permitting, one day, you know, I get an opportunity to be a head coach, and same people that's listening to come and support me as well. So, you know, it just it just comes full circle, one way or the other. But I enjoyed it, man. I like this. This is awesome. Well, we'll uh, you're certainly welcome. Anytime you want to get on here and talk and, and talk about the family, it, you know, you hit Joey up, you hit me up. We'll get you on, man. It's been it, – it, like Joey said earlier, we've done a lot of these with a lot of different type folks and a lot of different former guys. And you're at the top of the list right now, man, for, for mm -hmm. what you brought and what you shared. I, I, it's pretty amazing. And I – much respect for you. Um, on where you came from and what you've made yourself, not just Carolina basketball related, but in life. You, you are uh, pretty impressive young man still. I can say that still. <laughs> dare, I, dare I say, I, I, do think, uh, I do think Coach Smith is probably proud of, of what, he was able to, what he was able to do to help you, but more so what you have done with that, you know, from everything you've done. So I, I, I got to say, I'm sure he's proud of you. But for Shaman Williams – for Tommy Ashley, we appreciate you guys listening. This has been The 40 Club here on Inside Carolina, InsideCarolina.com. Special thanks to Johnny T-Shirt for supporting us and all of the content that we put out. Uh, we hope that you'll continue to look at InsideCarolina.com as your source for all of the information about North Carolina sports that you can find. A special shout-out to John Siegley for producing. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk at you next time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.